God, thank You that You are here in this place. And Lord, You bring victory. And so God, we just thank You that You are here. Lord, we present ourselves, our lives before You tonight, Father. We want more of You. We want to learn more about You. We want to become more like You, Jesus. I thank You that no matter what we face, no matter what trials or circumstances that come our way, Lord, You have the victory and that no weapon that is formed against us will prosper in the name of Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Welcome to church tonight. I'm Asha, if you don't know me. You guys can take your seats, by the way. And also, while we're at it, let's give the band to the team a hand. Really awesome. Well, my name's Asha, if you don't know who I am. Uh, me and my husband, Matt, we are the youth pastors here. And just a cheeky plug, youth encounters are coming up in two weeks' time. Guys, we're in a season of encountering Jesus at the moment. Women's encounter just happened this weekend. Youth encounters in two weeks. Men's encounter following that. Like, come on. Imagine if our whole church just had this wave of encountering Jesus. Imagine that. Come on. I am really, really expectant. I can only speak for the young women's encounter because I'm, you know, leading it. But um, <laughs> I'm sure the young men's are going to be just as great. But I'm really, really expectant for this encounter. And I know that God is going to break some things off some young women's lives. We live in a culture that is full of shame and condemnation. And I'm just believing that we are going to have young women walk out of this place free of that in the name of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you're a young person, sign up for Encounter. If you're a parent of a young person, tell them to sign up for Encounter or sign them up for Encounter and let them know that they're going. <laughs> just do it. It's fine. Young people aren't all that reliable, so you're in charge. Well, I am really excited to be bringing the word tonight and I hope you're ready, expectant, excited because God is here and I just want to acknowledge uh, the mighty Penrith Panthers in this place. Um, my dad would be proud. <laughs> Every time we drive past, I don't know if you know it, but near like Cambridge Park, there's a there's like a Penrith sign that's there and it has still has like go to the mighty Panthers. Every time we drive past, Mila's like, go Panthers! And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> good on ya, good on ya. So it's really good. Um, you know, we're all still kind of reeling from that three-peat, like bring on the four-peat, like I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure anyone is going to try and beat them next year, like just anyone. But, you know, I have realized, I like I'm an uncommitted supporter of the Panthers because I, I do support them. They are my team. They're my home team. I live in Penrith. If you live in Penrith and you support somewhere else, that's just, it doesn't make sense to me. So <laughs> just get out. Um, <laughs> No, no, it's fine. Um, but I I follow them intensely when it's getting to crunch time, you know? In the lead up, I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, what's the ladder like, Dad? He'll let me know. Yeah, okay, cool, great, we're, we're looking good. And then when it comes to those, like, final games, I'm in. I'm all in. I am there like I was there at the start, but I wasn't. But I've realised that I, I just love football, but I could never, ever imagine playing it myself. Not ever. It just looks so tiring, so exhausting, kind of fruitless sometimes because you're like passing the ball back and forth, back and forth, and then finally someone scores a try. And then like there's so much risk of injury and getting hurt and like, oh, and I just, I'm not the type of person that is going to be diving for the ball, grazing my knees, 
it's not me. Like, you will not see me doing any sort of diving unless, like, Ayla's falling from something. Like, yeah, sure. But no, other than that, not at all. But I was thinking about this and, you know, the Panthers have been a really good, solid team for a number of years now. And I, you know, yes, the players are great, but it also comes down to having a really great coach. A really, really great coach. And there's so much more to that, you know, that plenty of, you know, Matt unpacks for me and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. But it comes down to having a really, really great coach. The coach is asking something of the team members because he sees the individual abilities of each team member and he gives out the responsibility accordingly. And then the expectation from the coach is that the team members would fulfill that responsibility, that they would work hard and they would do their part so that the team can bring home the win, right? That is what the coach is doing. And he's seeing stuff that the players aren't necessarily seeing. And so we also have a coach, don't we? Jesus, and we have a game that he is asking us to be involved in. But more than a coach, we have a king. And we have a cause that he has for us to be a part of. And tonight, we are going to do some listening to what the king is asking of us. Just like the coach instructs his players in the pregame, the warm-ups, the halftime, you know, the timeouts, whatever they're called. (laughs) Just like he takes those opportunities to instruct his players. Okay, defense here, da-da-da-da, you know, whatever. I don't know the lingo, but it's fine. But just like the coach does that for the team members, the king has instructions for us and we need to stop and listen. And so I want to ask you, when was the last time that you stopped long enough to know what the king is asking you? When was the last time that you stopped long enough to know what the king is asking of you? I'm just going to pray and then we get into the word. Father God, I thank you that you are the greatest coach that there ever was because Lord, you're not just coaching from afar, Jesus. You came and you lived and you lived the life that we live, Father God, and you understand and you know. And so Father God, we just ask right now that you would give us the ability to stop and to listen and that your voice tonight would be so loud and so clear as we open up your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Well, we are going to land in Matthew 25 tonight. We're going to stick there for a little while. So if you have your word open, go for that. Uh, We're starting in verse 14. Um, And this is a parable. And if you don't know what a parable is, parables were stories that Jesus told uh, to the people that he was in front of to help them understand something because it's sometimes a foreign concept, the, thing, the way of Jesus. And so Jesus is using this story to help his followers understand something. But we can also use this parable that Jesus teaches. And Jesus wants us to understand something tonight as well. So what is it? We're going to read in Matthew 25. It's a bit lengthy, so feel free to follow along. It's called the parable of the talents. And it says this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. While he was gone, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he left on his trip. 
Then the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. Then the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who'd received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Big chunky scripture. Thank you for bearing with me. Whoa. Here's a fact that I have not known until recently. Either I'm living under a rock or maybe I'm not alone. A talent is a unit of weight measurement. Did you know that? I could be living under a rock. It's okay. But a talent was a unit of weight measurement back in Jesus' time. And one talent was around 34 kilos. In silver, that equals, now don't judge my maths, I, as far as my research extends in today's Australian dollar currency, that equals to around $40,000. Two talents was around 68 kilos. You do the maths, $80,000. And five talents came to a whopping 170 kilos, $202,000. Now that's in silver. We're heading into the many millions if we're talking about gold, <laughs> because some translations say silver and others say gold. So we don't know, but all we do know is that that is a very large amount of money, <laughs> not only in value, but also in volume. How were they to carry all of that money? Because it does say that he gave them bags of silver, doesn't it? Am I mistaken? He gave them bags of silver. I have a little image of some shekels, it maybe. <laughs> but in Jesus' times, one dinar was a common daily pay for a simple worker. So a talent was seen as around 6,000 times the daily wage. That's insane. A common worker could save a talent over the span of his life 
if he was really frugal with it and nothing bad happened? Like, that's insane. And this common worker gets given five talents. (laughs) Can you imagine? For a master to entrust his servants with that amount of money was a huge responsibility. Huge. And here's another thing that we know. Money is really heavy. Coins in silver and in gold, and if this is what it says, he gave them bags of silver. It's not just some little bag (laughs) with a few coins in it. No, no, it's like a lot. 34 kilos is one talent. Money is heavy. So this isn't just some figurative, like little vague, like here's some money, can you look after it thing. No, no, this required work. It was work. Like 170 kilos for the man that had five talents, like that would have impacted his day-to-day life so much. He would have had to have like a cart or something, I don't know, so much. These servants were given a job to do from their master. And seemingly it was a big one. (laughs) A lot of responsibility, a lot of risk, and a lot of personal exertion and sacrifice. A lot. There were two servants who knew what their master was after. They understood the assignment. They knew how to bring home the win and their hard work was rewarded. But the other servant, on the other hand, clearly didn't understand the assignment. And he assumed he knew the master's wishes and yet failed to do what he was asking. And sometimes I think in our own lives, we can assume that we know what God is asking. Or assume that we know where he would like us to be, what he would like us to be doing. We assume. But often we're just so busy, head down, bum up, playing the game, thinking that we're in the right spot, doing what we're supposed to be doing. And without realizing the coach needs us to be somewhere else. The coach is seeing something that we're not seeing. He needs us to be somewhere else, doing something else to assist in the win. This servant, he thought that the king was a harsh man. Now, to be fair, it sounds like he was. (laughs) And he would rather his money back in full. But he got so caught up on that one side of the game that he totally missed what the master was actually asking of him. A lot of people say, like in the research that I did about this story, it's that putting the money in the banks literally would have been the least that the servant could have done would have required no extra personal exertion or intelligence, nothing. Here you go, earn some interest, bring it back, done. No, no, no. It would, it would have been more effort to dig a hole and put it in the ground and then bury it than put it in the bank. You, you're catching what I'm saying here, right? So like, Either he was really dumb (laughs) or was he not up for the task? Was he not willing to take the risk that was required? Was he simply not strong enough to cart around that amount of weight? Was he not willing to have his own life impacted by this task that was asked of him? And when you think about the effort required in this task, you kind of understand the servant a little more. Like, Okay, I kind of get it. I mean, the bank would have been smarter, but I get it because it would have been hard work. Hard work. Am I ready 
for the task that Jesus asks of me? Am I ready? When is it that I stop long enough to know what the king is asking? What is he asking you? And how do I ready myself for the task? How do I ready myself? Because what God asks us to carry is heavy. There is burden. There is suffering. But if we know God, we also know that he has a plan through all of those things. Amen. For some reason as Christians, I know I do this. Hopefully I'm not alone. I think we know that suffering and hard work is just a reality. But we want to live in the reality that it's not there and Christ somehow like takes it all away when we accept him, right? But we're not in heaven yet. We're not in heaven yet. In fact, in James, he talks about this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, he says. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Suffering is part of the ask. The burden of the gospel is a reality that we face. Think of Paul in the Bible. Like if you haven't heard of the guy, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. So check it out. So much suffering, prison time, illness, crazy trials, like shipwrecks and random things. And then you go back further than that. You think of Daniel in the lion's den. He was thrown into the lion's den. Jesus didn't like whip him out of there. No, 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 no. You think of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They ended up in the fire. The Israelites in slavery in Egypt, they were God's people and yet captive. Here's the thing. God doesn't always spare us from the suffering because he has a plan for it. He wants to grow us in it and bring us through it. In Romans chapter 8, 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He has a plan for the good, the bad, the ugly. He has a plan. Are we strong for the task? Because what a privilege it is to be entrusted with talents to use for God's purposes on the earth. What a privilege. What are the things that God has entrusted to us? Well, friends, God has entrusted us all with the gospel. Every single one of us. And the gospel is not just for church. Actually, the opposite. <laughs> but the gospel is also not just for non-believers. The gospel applies to our every single day as Jesus Christ transforms us through the gospel every day. And there are plenty of things that God has entrusted to us all. I'm not sure if a list might come up on the screen. Yep, there we go. Loving others. You can see the scriptures in there. Loving others. Spreading the gospel. This is for all of us. Forgiving others. Caring for his church. Being an example to the world. Feeding the hungry and thirsty. Caring for the poor, the prisoner and the sick. God has entrusted this to us all. The weight and the burden of the gospel. 
But then there are also specific things that God will ask you to do as an individual. And it will be different to what he asks me to do. And this list might come up too. And this is only some, like there's plenty more. But think of family relationships. Think of faithful marriages. Think of parenting well. Think of ministry giftings and callings, discipling others, walking the journey with them, and then other personal trials and different things. God might call you to do something specific. You see, the master gave the servants, it says, each according to their ability. And so what God asks of you won't look the same as the next person. God just wants you to use what he has entrusted to you. And put it to work (laughs) to bring home the win. Amen? And I just find that it's no coincidence where this parable is placed in the Scriptures. Because before the parable, we have the ten bridesmaids, which, you know, if you know it, you know it. The ten bridesmaids. Then we have this parable of the three servants, the talents. And then we move on in Matthew 25 to the final judgment of goats, sheep, all of that. Sheep, not sheeps. Um, <laughs> sorry, just to correct myself there. And so here's, here's this picture that I get just from Matthew 25. Ten bridesmaids. One, you don't know when I'm coming back, so be ready. Get yourself ready. Two, I want to see when I come back that you are using well what I've entrusted to you. And three, salvation is not achieved by works, but neither is it without works. Jesus has work for us to do and he is entrusting us with something. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then James says it even better, like slap in the face. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. See, Jesus did not teach salvation by works. No, no, no. He taught about repentance, leading us to the Father God, which results in a life of obedience. We must understand Jesus' call to obedience and the task that he has put before us and get into action. Because wasn't this Paul's very revelation in Philippians? He says, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. (laughs) But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, (laughs) which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live To live is Christ, but to die is gain. This is what he's saying. I'd rather go and be with Jesus in heaven. But while I'm here, I'm going to use my life all for Christ because he's the end goal anyway. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. 
All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. If it's not about Jesus, then who is it about? What is it for? If it's not for the sake of the gospel and furthering his kingdom, then what am I doing with my life? Just just posing a question. If I could have the team come and join me as well. For me, I am not interested in living a self-serving, self-gratifying life. I want to use what God has entrusted to me for the bettering of his kingdom, for the furthering of the gospel. And hear me, please hear me. I am not saying that you have to work for the church. We need those people too. Don't get me wrong. So you feel called, great. That's good. I'm one of them. But ministry, and I think this is confusion, ministry is not working for the church. Ministry is working for God. Go and do ministry where you are, in your workplace, in your household. Invite people in, parent your children, raise them in the ways of God. In your marriage, do it faithfully, God-honoring, God-fearing in your relationships, the way that you love and you care for others. Do ministry where you are. Because if you're not called to be in ministry in the church, you are called to be in ministry somewhere else. Figure out where that is and do it. Do it. Invest. Take the risks. Be really tired. Endure suffering. Cling to Christ. Apply the good news of Jesus to everywhere you go, everyone you meet, because you, my friends, are called by the King to go to the ends of the earth. Your end of the earth. What does that look like for you? Because it's no use if we're all called to go to the same end of the earth. No, no, no. You own an end of the earth. You own a workplace. You own your household. You own your marriage. And go there. Bring Jesus there. Yeah. And I really, really feel, maybe prophetically if I'm allowed to say that, as I was preparing this message, that God is actually calling us to a season of work, hard work, where we pull up our sleeves and we get ourselves dirty and we do the hard work of advancing the kingdom of God and it's not going to be easy. No, no, no. In whatever that looks like in your life, we lay down the things that are hindering us, the people that we're trying to please, And we work to please God Himself. Because if not that, then why am I here? Then why why would I live for Jesus if it's not, if my life is not centered around that? Because we all have excuses, don't we? My excuses usually sound something like this. It's really hard. I'm really tired. I've got other things I'd rather be doing. It requires a lot. It's sacrifice. But if those excuses are the things that are going to stop me in my tracks, I am living a self-centered life. I am. 
But if my life is all about Jesus truly, then why would that ever be a problem or a hindrance that I'm a bit tired or busy? Sometimes the biggest thing that we need is to stop for a moment and listen to what the King is asking of us. Let Him produce that fire in us for the things of God and for the work of the kingdom. And the best way to know what the King is asking is to stop and to listen, not talk, listen. And the best way to ready myself for the task is to be with Him. Be with Him. Spend time with Him all the time. Let Him give me all that I need. Allow His deep love and His refreshing Spirit overtake my life. Meet all my needs and remind me that I can do anything through Christ who gives me the strength. And if Paul can say that, he had it. I can say it too. And maybe tonight you might find an opportunity right here with God, to hear from Him. But I encourage you to not let this be an irregular thing. Sit before the King often, often. Make it a regular thing. Come before God and stop. Stop. Find the quiet place. Stop assuming that you know it all. Stop Stop making the excuses that we all make as to why we can't. Stop talking at God and allow God to speak to you. I'm just going to ask us all to stand and I would love to pray for all of us in this season. So if you close your eyes and bow your heads with me. And maybe you feel like this is a word for you in season. I hope it's encouraged all of us, but would you lift your hands and say, God, I want to hear from you tonight. I need some direction. I need to know what it is that you're asking, where you want me. Lord Jesus, we just come before you now. And Father, I ask that your voice would be so loud in this place. Lord, that as we stop and we wait and we listen, And we allow you to speak, allow you to move, allow you to fill us with what we need for the task at hand, Father. God, that there would be an amazing refreshing that comes upon your people tonight. God, that there would be an amazing fire that is birthed in your people tonight for the things of God, for the work of the kingdom. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would press into this season of work. We would press into this season of doing what you need us to do, Lord Jesus, because we are your your disciples. We are your followers. And so God, be here, Lord. Be with us, Jesus. Not just here in these four walls, but let us remember to take you with us. Let us remember to stop each and every day at your feet. Listen to what you're saying. Strengthen your people, Lord Jesus, for the task that you have.